Good morning. Welcome. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Won't you stand and join us as we worship the living King?
you are in control. Lord, we trust you. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come against every lie of the enemy. Lord, everything that he lifts up, that he tries to raise up in place of you, and in the name of Jesus Christ, we break those lies down that both your people, the body of Christ, and the lost might see the truth of Jesus Christ. Lord, the miracle that you accomplished once for all, and every miracle that you're accomplishing in each and every day that we live, Lord, we trust you, and we give you glory this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. church if this is your first time visiting with us in person or online welcome we're so glad that you've decided to worship with us today at new covenant church we invite all people in the communities where we live to know hear and respond to jesus christ you can learn more about ncc become part of our church family or join the volunteer team by going through our connect class online or by attending one of the upcoming in-person classes If you'd like to bless what God is doing through the ministries at NCC with your tithes and offerings, you can use the offering boxes or give online at newcovenantlampasses.com. If you've got any questions about what's going on here at NCC or want more information on how to get connected, please stop by the hub after the service. Again, we're so glad you're here with us this morning. Now let's open and prepare our hearts for the word. Here you are. So good to see you. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. Well, let me make a couple of announcements and then we'll brag on Thanksgiving. Uh, No youth tonight or yams. Uh, We had enough yams over Thanksgiving. That's young adult ministries. Not going to meet tonight. Then next Saturday night is going to be our December throne room. And it'll be at 7 to 8. And hope you'll come and just enjoy the presence of God in this season together with us. Did you have a good Thanksgiving, really? How many of you have a hangover? You do? You know, I had to, I had to loosen my belt. To, well, I put my belt in the right place, but my hangover got bigger. So anyway, we're so glad you're here. Glad to be with you. Uh, we're going to start a series this morning about uh, majesty. The Lord's been dealing with me for some time. I want you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah 40. We'll get there in a minute. Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, There is so many things to be thankful for, but right now I really sense there's a weariness. There's a weariness in spirit. There's a tiredness that seems to be affecting and, and coming against. There's a lot of news and different things that just tend to be depressing and and coming at us and and I kept continued to pray about that to the Lord, and uh, you know I I, I understand that uh, these are exciting times and yet very troublesome times, and wars, division, lawlessness, delay, troubled times abroad, troubles at home, troubles in our hearts, and uh, 
I was praying last week, and probably, as you know, probably a lot of times our prayers are whining or complaining, but I was rehearsing some circumstances of life and, and circumstances of our times, and I was asking the Lord a, a, a lot of questions, and, um, and just in the middle of my prayer, my, in my thoughts, it occurred to me, and this is what came, these words came to me, the enemy gets in your face with thir- circumstances, but I am God Almighty in your heart. Got my attention. Got my attention because it's so easy to get our, our eyes on the circumstances and forget how big our God is. How real and how in charge our God is. You know, someone has defined circumstances as those nasty things you see when you get your eyes off God. See, if you look at God through your circumstances, He will seem real small and very far away. But if you, by faith, can look at your circumstances from God's perspective or through God, through who He is, He will draw very near and reveal His majesty to you. I believe what the church needs right now is a real good dose of majesty. The word majesty simply means the inherent inherent greatness of God. Our God is so much more than we perceive Him to be. And so as I began to think about this and I came up with the word majesty, I ran onto a word by Bobby Connor. Bobby Connor is a prophetic ministry that we've had here before. But Bobby Connor gave a word this time last year for 2023. And he said, the church is about to become awestruck. Many of us need to to be struck with awe again about who God is. And as I began to think about that, I realized that right now, circumstances are looming large and we've allowed God to become far too small. So I want you to look, and we're going to look at Isaiah 40, but Isaiah 45, verse 22 says this, Look to me and be saved. Now God is talking through Isaiah to the pagan king Cyrus, and he says, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I am God... Now we would say that, yes, He's God, but listen to the last part of that. There is no other. That's not Isaiah just saying that. That's God saying it through Isaiah. We need to understand something. There's no other gods but God. There's no other gods but Yahweh, the I Am. But what we've done is we've allowed a lot of competition gods. A lot of worldly things to come in and get our attention and reduce the reality of who God is by doubt and fear. And I believe with all of my heart, God is inviting us again to take a look. That word look means to turn toward and see and be safe, be delivered, be safe. And he says, for I am God, there is no other. 
The problem is in our day, we've reduced God down to our size and down to our abilities. Psalm 50, 21, God says to them, He says, you thought that I was altogether like you. The reality is we've been made in God's image, but the tragedy is that we tend to make God in our image according to our likeness. It's not unusual for me to see God through the filter of my own human frailties. I superimpose on God what is true of me. And when I look at myself, I'm not too impressed. And therefore, I have trouble trusting Him because I don't see much in me. I have trouble transferring to God's account my own failing resources. Well, God, I know you could, but I'm not sure you will. Since I couldn't stay with Him in a lot of things, then I don't know if He will stay with me in things. You see, in every way we tend to look at our circumstances and instead of it taking us to to God in prayer, it reduces God in our own hearts to where we begin to believe maybe God won't come through. Maybe this will not turn out right. And let me tell you, that's the most dangerous place we can get as a people of God. When our God becomes too small. So I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 40. When's the last time you considered how big your God is? When's the last time you've really tried to size God up as He is? Not as people say He is. In Isaiah chapter 40, and I hope you will read the whole chapter, Isaiah's writing to a people that's in captivity. And God is writing through Isaiah and prophesying that He's going to bring them out, out of their captivity, back into the land. It's just too good to be true. It's just too good to be true for those people. And Isaiah, he he starts out in Isaiah 40, comfort my people, comfort my people. In Isaiah 40, there's prophecies that are here of John the Baptist and of Jesus and of redemption. But he's also writing to a people that has a problem. They have a problem of trusting God. And so Isaiah is bringing their attention back to God in chapter 40. And I hope you'll read the whole thing, but I want us to look specifically this morning at verse 28 to begin with. Isaiah 40, 28. We're talking about the majesty, the inherent greatness of God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord... The creator of the ends of the earth neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Now just stop and think about it. He's saying to these people, have you not perceived by experience? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Are you not paying attention? Your God is an everlasting God. He's not limited by time. He's the Lord, and that word Lord is Yahweh, the great I Am, the self-existent one. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He is the one who has formed all and everything. You've got to understand who He is. And the next thing is how He lives. He's never faint, nor is He weary. He's not limited by power nor by endurance. His understanding, His wisdom, and His purposes are unsearchable. There's nobody that can explain what God's up to but God. And if you understand what Isaiah is saying is, 
Come on, guys, get a grip of who God really is. Now, to go back and to understand the bigness of why he's saying that, get a grip. Go back to verse 12. Talking about, in Isaiah 40, verse 12, about how big God is. Behold your God, he says in verse 10. But in verse 12, he says, He's the God who measured the waters of the earth in the hollow of His hand. If you just put your two hands together, we used to do this as kids. We used to go up to the creek and and put our hands down and pull it to our mouth to drink. God, two-thirds of the world's, this earth's surface is covered by water. Two-thirds of the surface of the earth. And he says, and he measured it in the hollow of his hands. Now, who could do that? God. He measured it. And then he goes on to say, and he uh, measured, he measured heaven with a span. You know what a span is? From the tip of your thumb to your little tip of your little finger. That's probably seven to nine inches. For some of you, it may be five inches. Some of you, it may be ten. The whole point is, we have the Hubble telescope and all those kind of things, and they've looked at the earth, sky, and they can't even see how far the universe is. And God says, I can see it. I measured it with a span. How big's your God? You know, what's taking place in the world today is not a surprise to God. It's not even a stretch for God. And then he says, I calculated the dust of the earth in a measure. This literally, the word calculated means that he knows exactly the number of sand, a number of pebbles or whatever you want to say. He knows exactly how much it takes to make this stuff hold together. Isn't it amazing? He knows the sand on the seashore and he's marked it off that says that the sea can't come but just so far. God is the one who is controlling all things. And then it says this, and he weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. In other words, he put everything in place. Now you say, well, the science says, yeah, science says, but God says. You see, science, if you really look at it, science rarely disputes the reality of what God's done. The problem is, it's man tries to use science to prove what God can't do. And the reality is, God is. Here's what I'm trying to say, folks. God big. He's just big. He's just more than you think. He's not out there. He's right here. He's that big. The trouble with us is we keep reducing Him down to our size. Even to the size of science. You know, now... He did all that, and then he says, no, but look at my wisdom. He said, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, verse 13? Or who has been his counselor, who has taught him? Well, whom did he take counsel? Who instructed him, and who taught him in the path of justice? And who taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Do you Listen to me. The world is so busy telling us what God can do, and what God can say, and what He can't do. Listen to me. Who taught God? Who, who told, what, what, what school and university did God attend in order to learn as much as He knows? Folks, listen. Man knows nothing but that which God has revealed. Nothing. We're not only dumb, we're ignorant.
Then verse 15, you know, we're, we're, everybody's shaking in their boots about the nations. Look at verse 15 and also verse 17. Behold, the nations are a drop as a drop as a butt. Let me say that again. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket. China, Russia, Iran, Middle East, America, they're a drop in a bucket. And they're counted as small as dust on the scales. I love this. You know the scales that have the two sides? All the nations are on this side, and it's just like having grains of dust. And God can go... He can just brush them off. He's the one that raises up kings and puts down kings, as Pastor Chris had said. All of those things. Here's what I'm trying to say. We're so afraid and so upset about what's going on in the world. And God says, it's just a drop in the bucket. I am God and there is no other. Then verse 17 says, All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. What is China and Russia and Iran and America? Nothing. Nothing. We can hold it up and and trust him to do some things, but listen to me. When it really boils down to it, it's God's way or no way. I am the Lord, and there is... No other. Well, what about all of these leaders and these totalitarian governments in the world and it's all these things? Look at verse 22 and 23. It is God who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants, all 8 billion of us, are like grasshoppers. He is the one who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent for us to dwell in. We are living on this big ball of earth by permission and by grace. And he says, verse 26, well, let me go ahead and figure verse 23. He says, he brings princes to nothing and he makes the judges of the earth useless. Folks, listen to me. Everybody that has such a great opinion, it's absolutely worthless when it comes to God. And yet He knows your name. Look at verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. He's talking about the stars. Who brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of His might and the strength of His power, not one is missing. Listen, if God knows the names of all the stars, He can keep up with you. He knows what's going on. Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too difficult for me? We need to have a fresh awe encounter with God. And here's my point. How many of you feel small about now? Feel weak? Feel powerless? Let me just give you let me, a heads up. You are in control of absolute nothing. You have no control. The only control you have is the choice of who or what you're going to trust. 
You can trust in yourself and your only hope is you. You can trust in this world and your only hope is the world. You can trust in the systems and the banking system and this system and that system. You can trust with all the systems of this world. And let me tell you, you're only as, you're as, only as safe and as delivered as the system is. Or you can trust in God who created it all and holds it all together. Who gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish. It's an impossibility. But would have everlasting, eternal life that would live beyond this world. We're in control of nothing. Only one thing that we have the ability to do and that's to choose who we'll trust, who we'll depend on, who we'll look to for help, who will deliver us, who will be our hope. This everlasting God we read about in verse 28, the great I am, the creator who formed all the ends of the earth, who never gets tired or, is gro- or grows weary or ever gets overwhelmed, whose wisdom and purpose is unsearchable. Verse 29 of Isaiah 40 says this, He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, He increases strength. He gives power. That word power there is not talking about ability. It's talking about, it, it actually has the root of a bone. The root word of a bone. Literally, here's my translation. He gives backbone to the weak. He gives structure. He gives standing. He gives strength to the weak. He gives strength to those who have no might. Listen, if you are standing upright today, it's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. So if you're weak this morning, if you're (coughs) confused, if you're uh, without strength, you are set up to receive God's power and strength and might because it's a gift of God. Then in verse 30, Isaiah says, even the youths, it's not talking about just young people, it's talking about the highly conditioned and athletic Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men, this is talking about probably soldier age group, maturing and trained, shall utterly fall. Those you expect to be able will tire, drop out. Even those you've been trained are not going to be able to endure, but will ultimately fall. Folks, listen, what God is trying to say to us is, you can't depend on one thing apart from me. I am the one who gives you strength. I am the one in whom you live and move and have your being. And then he says, but. These are going to fall, but. I love God's but. The reality, I love it when God says, but. You know, we're filled with sin and all these things. But God loved us. When we could do nothing to save ourselves, but God sent His Son. But God. And here's a but in the Old Testament. The but of Isaiah 40, 31. He says this, and here's what we've got to hear and understand. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now Isaiah is saying this, to people in captivity 
And God has prophesied that he's going to bring them back and it's going to be a long road back from, from Persia into to the place that God is going to replant them. And, and even the Messiah is going to come and there's road and the time is going to be long. But the reality is God, they that wait upon the Lord are going to get their strength and they're going to get the power and they're going to get the ability to do it. Well, then what is wait? Now, this is one of my favorite scriptures and Connie and I went to a retreat. This was a scripture that God used to, to literally change. We stayed in Isaiah 40, 31 in a, in a retreat center. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I believe with all of my heart that one of the words that I've heard the Lord say literally audibly, I don't know how, you can, how I can tell you that, but I, I, I literally heard the word wait. But let me tell you what a Texas definition is of wait is. Sit down. Don't do anything. And this week as I began to study this word, now, the wait does mean don't, don't go ahead of him. But I began to look at this word. This word in Hebrew is kavah. Kavah. And this word wait literally means to bind together as a cord. It means to take strands and weave them, intertwine them together as a cord. And all of a sudden, I think God is showing me that God is saying, if you'll wrap your heart and the truth I've revealed to you and the things I'm saying to you, if you will wrap them together, bind them together, if you'll let me lead you, if you'll trust me, you can bind those things together and they'll become something more. It'll renew. That word renew is that it will become, it will substitute, it will become something it's never been before for you. It'll be taking your weakness and putting my strength with it. And suddenly you're going to find out that what God is going to give you as you wait upon Him, as you bind and intertwine your heart and life in Him, you're going to find that you're going to have a rope of hope, a rope of truth, a rope of life that is strong enough to take on anything that this world can bring. Because your hope is not in your strength. Your hope is not in yours. Your hope is in what God is revealing to you. You literally bind your heart, twisting together the many strands that couldn't hold it by itself, but by wrapping your heart and life around the reality of God and what He's revealed to you, all your weakness becomes confident expectation of His resources, of His promises, of His power, of His purpose. And they become a renewal. They really become a substitute. It's like putting on what is provided. And it becomes for you the reality of His presence and power. And you become something more than you could ever be apart from Him. You receive strength and power and might. And as we live in the tensions of these life situations and we bind ourselves together with the truth and the word and the promises of God, we expect to see, I expect to hear, I expect to know Him. And with every new thread of revelation, as it binds in with the others, God gives us something that's solid, that we can trust a strength that won't let us go, a power for our own, and we can respond accordingly. 
And then it says, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, as many times I studied this, logic would say, that's backwards. That's backwards. I mean, in the athletic realm, you don't start out soaring, you start out walking. Whatever you're going to, you're going to start out with the fundamentals. You're going to start out with the, 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 the real. And if you walk and you, you learn those things, then you begin to run and you, and you run. And then, then if you get really good at it, you begin to soar. You begin to become something more than you've ever been before. It seems backwards, but the reality is God's oftentimes backwards to us. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... Something that happens. The word soar there means to be carried up into the heavens like an eagle. Carried up into the heavens like an eagle. When you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God has made provision for you. And if you'll wrap your heart around this this morning, if you'll understand it, God's going to speak something, I believe, to you. You become carried up. Well, I want you to look at, let's talk about soaring then. The first thing that happens when you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior is He puts you in Christ and Christ comes to be in you. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 5 and 6. It will be on the screen. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And He raised us up. He carried us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The very first thing that God did for you and me when we trusted Jesus Christ is He seated us in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. You say, I don't understand it. It's a God thing. It's a God thing. He seated us. You literally, right now, are in the throne room of heaven with Christ. You have every right to look at the world and everything that's going on from that perspective. You can see every circumstance of life through the reality of where you're seated. And instead, what we tend to think is, well, I, get to, I need to be mature enough. I need to get to the place. Listen, if you'll just believe God, if you'll believe Him and say, God, I want to see it from your perspective. I want to see it from where I'm sitting. I don't want to see it from where I'm living. I want to see it from where I'm sitting. I believe God can give you a perspective of your life, of your circumstances, of this situation perhaps you've never seen before. And then from that perspective, it says you can run and not be weary. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So as I see from God's perspective, I begin to live out that perspective in the life that I'm living, and I live it looking unto Jesus, not looking for Him, looking to Him. Looking unto Jesus, who is the originator and the finisher, the completion of the faith that I'm to be walking in. I can trust Him. I'm going to look to Him. I'm going to look to Him for deliverance. I'm going to look to Him for safety. I'm going to look for Him for wisdom and understanding and deliverance from, from protection from every enemy. I'm going to look to Him and I'm going to run this race with endurance. 
And then it says, and you're going to walk and not faint. And this is where I think the greatest endurance is. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Walk. This is just the grind of life. I don't know when God's going to come through. I don't know how God's going to come through. But I, from the perspective of God's promises and from the reality of my faith in Jesus Christ, I know God's going to come through. If it depends on me, I'm in trouble. If it depends on you, I'm in bigger trouble. But if it depends on Him, I'm safe, secure, and sure. Because I have built my life intertwining the truth of the revelation He's given me into a rope of hope and a path of peace. I can trust Him. I can trust Him. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life. I know a lot of us are weary. I know a lot of people are tired. They're tired of the struggle. But I want to tell you, I just want to encourage you. I want you to lift up your eyes and see the greatness of who God is. I want you to see Him for who He is. The problems that you're so worried about would, wouldn't even be an issue on His scale. It wouldn't be dust that He would have to dust off. Because God is so in charge and He is so working His will and purposes that He is inviting you to participate. Your prayers do more to change this world than you would ever dream. But what God, let me tell you, you really want to please God? You really want to do what God wants you to do? Here's what pleases God. Trust Him. The thing that brings God the most joy in your relationship with Him is when you trust Him. Y'all know the story of David. Our favorite story usually about King David is what? David and what? Goliath. We often point to that story and we look at that story and we see him as a boy coming out to fight this giant Goliath. And when everybody else was scared to death... In fear, fear of the circumstances, David looked through the circumstances to the covenant-keeping God of Israel. David, he didn't, the king's armor didn't fit and he didn't know how to use it. Goliath came with a threat, a javelin, and a sword. But David came in the name of the covenant-keeping God. All he had was a sling. He had bound together. Here's the thing that I got the picture of. That's why I have this here. Where'd that sling come from? We don't know. Scripture doesn't say. I don't know what it's made of. We have ideas of what it was made of. But here's the thing about David. Here's my picture that I get. It's not scriptural, it's Daryl. I think as a young boy, he sat on the hillside watching over the sheep, praising and worshiping a God he really didn't understand yet, but he was getting to know. And as he worshiped, God would reveal himself to him. 
And I think David would sit on the hillside and he would braid the truth of what God was showing him, of the covenant, of what God was saying. I think Jesus, God, had found someone he could reveal himself to. And David just took it all in and began to intertwine it together. And he began to form it into something that he could stand on, something that would be of use to him. He tried it on the bear and the lion and it worked. God was protecting and delivering but then he came to this giant, and yet David was down to place. He had, had, he had made enough sling not to hang himself, but to defeat his enemy. And when everybody else was shaking in fear, David took his sling that had been, I think, fashioned and braided on a hillside with revelation, truth, the Word of God, and worship. And I think David ran out to meet that giant, was threatening him with everything. He ran out to meet him with nothing but the truth of God and the rock of ages. And he slung it and he hit the giant. He fell dead. David goes out and cuts his head off. He is soaring, right? He's soaring. But that's not the end of the story. You would think he'd be everybody's hero, but he became Saul's enemy. Saul was jealous. Saul began to chase him. David had to do all kinds of things to try to get away. But, but here's the thing. David is now still molding. He's still, he's still intertwining the new truths of God, the new revelations of what he's saying, the things that he is beginning to find out about God he didn't know in the hillside. And now he's just still putting it together. And David, he, it goes on to where now David's king. Now he has enemies all over around. He has mighty men of war. He has all these things, but he has enemies. And, and, and you read Psalms and you find every time David would come, every time David got in trouble, he would go back to God. God. Because he knew what he had been given. And he knew who he trusted. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. I used to think that it was a man that would have been fashioned after God's heart. But here's the thing. I think David was after God's heart. He wanted God's heart. He wanted to know God. He wanted everything about God. As you can hear it. He says oh, to spend time in his presence was more important to David than anything else. He frustrates his family and his family gets frustrated with him. He goes through all those things. But here's the thing. David ends up and he, he says something in Psalms 27 verse 14 that I think he would save, say to us today. David, what's it take? Psalms 27 verse 14 in the Amplified says this. Wait and hope for and expect the Lord. Be brave and of good courage and let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait for and hope for and expect the Lord. I know that some of us this morning, we're, we find ourselves weary, lacking in strength. Perhaps you've, gotten, you've already stumbled and you feel stranded. You're tired of the pressure, the pace of life, tired of the problems, tired of trying to figure out what you're supposed to have Already know, tired of feeling afraid, tired of feeling unloved, tired of feeling trapped. You're not soaring, you're not even running. You may be even struggling to put the next foot in front of the other. If that's you, I've got good news. You are a candidate for God's strength this morning, for God's power and presence. If you'll say yes to Him this morning, yes, yes, the circumstances are real. Yes, the threats are real. Yes, the challenges are real. But if you'll look through the circumstances and you will see your God, He says, look to me. 
and be saved. Be delivered. Be safe. All of you. For I am God. And there is no other. Would you stand together with me? I'm going to invite the altar team to come. They're going to be available to pray with you. But let me ask you a question. Who are you believing in? Who are you trusting this morning? Who's going to get you through? I can tell you one thing. There's only one who can. His name is Jesus. And He will give you truth, love, life. He'll not only give you a rope of hope, He'll give you a path of peace if you'll trust Him. If you'll trust Him. As Amanda sings, we're going to invite you to respond to Him. Whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you, just to respond to Him. If you find yourself weak this morning, here's the word that God gave Paul when he was tormented by a thorn in the flesh. He said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for in your weakness I am strong. Would you trust Him this morning? As Amanda sings, we invite you to respond. Take a good look at God this week. Let Him be who He is. Say yes to Him. Understand the things you've experienced in life where He's come through. Weave that and intertwine that into your hope, into your way. Trust Him. Father, we bless You and we thank You. May Your name be lifted high in our hearts 
in, from our mouths this week. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Ministry teams are still available. Please avail yourself to them.